Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Randy, welcome back. It's so great to see you again. Good to be back. I was at the Missouri Tiger Club Golf Tournament yesterday. Had a great time over there. We played well. My team played well. Not well enough to win oh. and not poorly enough to win Flight B. But we, we had a good time out there. So it was a good uh, it was a good day. Good day to ten. It never rained. I, I want to be worried. a meteorologist when I grow up. A meteorologist is like a professional gambler who loses all the time but never has to give up any money. Or an NFL draft expert. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. <laughs> Either way, you're you're making predictions, and it doesn't really matter if they turn out or not. You're not going to lose your job. Right, yeah. No big, no big deal. So that, that was good. The Cardinals were off yesterday as well, and they'll open a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays tonight in Tampa. How many people do you think are there? Maybe... 18,000 and half of them are Cardinal fans? Okay, so that's the caveat, is I was going to say whatever the number is, what percentage of them have traveled and that are Cardinals fans. I think 18,000 might even be high. And that's given the Cardinals contingency that we know travels very well. But whatever it is that they announce, it's usually about a sixth of that is actual people in the stands. Right. They, They usually announce maybe 11, 12... And yeah, it's usually a much smaller crowd than that. It's a really bleak scene. It is. And it's a bad stadium. It's a bad location. If they had that stadium actually in Tampa, if you're not familiar, you have to cross a massive bridge to get from St. Tampa, where the population base is, to St. Petersburg. And there's almost no way to get there if you work in Tampa for a 7 o'clock game. And they tried to get a stadium built in Tampa and lost that opportunity. But that's what they have to do. You cannot succeed all due respect to St. Petersburg, which I love, but it's a bunch of retirees. Mm. And then you've got a bad dome stadium that's really not going to attract people. It's just, uh, it, it's a combination of bad occurrences for the Rays because the, the team's been really good for a long time. They have. And that's what's so interesting about the St. Louis Cardinals is not only have they put out a consistently good product, but the fans show up. There's synergy mm-hmm. on both sides that allow both sides to get at least a portion of what they want. I know fans probably demand a little bit more from the the Cardinals and they're hungry for a World Series, but they're able to do some of the things that they do because the fans provide that consistent support. And you look at a team like the Rays who have been good and who have done remarkable things compared to their market size, and it doesn't seem like anybody really cares down there. Right, exactly. There's a lot of things about St. Louis to complain about, but I'll say this. The fact that we have that 
essential intersection of 40, 44, 55, 70. All at the same place, and they all wind up at Bush Stadium. It's pretty cool. The fact that you grew up in Illinois, and has your entire life included construction on the Poplar Street Bridge? I have said I've never in my entire life remembered when there has not been construction on 64. Right. There is cones and shutdowns. I'm like, this must be the best maintained highway in America. (laughs) And shout out to the the workers who who keep it good because there is construction nonstop on the bridges Mm -hmm. and on the highways. Yeah. If you ever go, for example, to a game at Arrowhead, there's one highway and you come from both sides to get into Arrowhead and the lines are forever. You never have trouble getting into our stadium like you do the one in Tampa. And we don't have to deal with traffic. That's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Shout out to the city planners for the hi- the highway construction. Yeah, old school, but they did a good job of it. Tonight, the Cardinals <laughs> will send Dakota Hudson to the mound. He'll be opposed by Jeffrey Springs, who's 2-2 two and two with a 1.88. He's been bounced around fifth year in the majors in his second year with Tampa Bay. Meanwhile, the Cardinals start the night, Michelle, a half game behind Milwaukee in the division, and the Brewers have three with Philadelphia, and Philadelphia has a new manager that apparently has turned them into winners. They seem like they're having fun, and mm-hmm. the results are following small sample size, but we see this a lot in sports. When a manager gets removed and a team has a response, they, you tend to see an uptick in success. Mm-hmm. Now, is that sustainable for the Phillies? TBD, but at least right now, not a good matchup for the Brewers. And the Cardinals, they need to feast on this portion of their they schedule. Do. I think, Randy, by the end of this chunk for the Cardinals, where they face, let me scroll it, the Rays, the Reds for a three-game set, and then the, uh, the Pirates for four, I think they're at the top of the division by the end of this. I would think so, too. And Tampa's going to be tough. But again, the Cardinals should have somewhat of a home field advantage. But if you could take two out of three here, and then in those other seven, take six out of seven, which is not an unreasonable ask with Cincinnati and Pittsburgh... That would be my expectation. And by the way, I over the weekend, I wanted the Cardinals, we all wanted the Cardinals to win at least four out of five against Chicago. But when you have the the, the odd Miles Michaelis off night, mm-hmm. that's going to happen. And then you got screwed by the umpire in the first Big game time. on Saturday. Should have won that game. If Tommy Edmund walks, I'm con- like, like he did, but the umpire didn't see it that way. But if he takes that walk, 5-2 game, bases loaded, Gorman and Goldie coming up, I'm convinced the Cardinals come back and win that game. Yeah, that was... An outrageous zone that yeah. in, in a lot of bad calls by the ump in that game. Ali Marmol, by the way, getting thrown up for the first time. Didn't you love the way he did it, too? In his career. I thought he was great. 10 of 10. If you're going to get thrown out, you need to pick your spots. And that was such a deserving spot. Mm-hmm. I, I was furious, too, watching that. But I just loved the emphatic nature with which he went out there. It was very demonstrative. He in was clearly... Plate. Inside, outside, you! <laughs> I know, just going to the plate. I thought it was amazing. It was throwing the iPad. You know, if you're going to smash technology... Well, Tom Brady on us, yeah. Yeah, you're always going to get extra points for me if you're smashing technology with abandon. So I thought it was 10 of 10. Well done, Ollie. Matthew, you, Matthew Rocky, you like that one? I First of all, I, I loved the way... Way that Ollie reacted that was perfect but also I, I was just thinking the internet has brought us so many terrible things but the umpire scorecard and the people who put mm-hmm. that together is one of the best things the internet has ever brought me because anytime I've thought something but I'm, then I can back it up with actual rationale it makes me feel a lot less crazy so all yeah. these years of being like this guy's strike zone is absolutely ludicrous I can actually go to the umpire scorecard and see that yes if you look at Monday that entire scorecard is red ludicrous would have a better everywhere on it strike zone than many of these guys uh, ludicrous absolutely I would love to see Luda behind the dish yeah. didn't he have like one of the worst first pitches ever I don't think he's a big baseball guy well, 
I don't remember him doing a first pick. Maybe no, he I'm had think, a really I'm bad one. I'm thinking 50 Cent. I'm thinking 50 Cent. Yeah. He had a really yeah, bad one. Not 50. Uh, yeah, let's not put that evil on Ludacris, okay? No. He's just giving us a little Southern hospitality. He exactly. doesn't act a fool, you know? <laughs> the team that eliminated the St. Louis Blues from the playoffs eliminated the Edmonton Oilers last night. In overtime, the Colorado Avalanche came through. Blocked the shot earlier. Avs control, held, out for McCarr, shot stop, rebound, Lincoln and scores! The Colorado Avalanche are headed to the Stanley Cup final! Boo. Boo. <laughs> you know what, Randy, if our goaler wasn't knocked out, we'd be talking about the St. Louis Blues heading to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Colorado's a really good team, and the Blues took a little too long to get going but i truly believe that had jordan bennington been a part of that series that the blues had a had a chance to be going to the stanley cup final think about that that they were so close Mm -hmm. that the way that they battled and played colorado they were so close to facing an edmonton team that i think we both agree the blues could have handled them fairly easily and who knows once you get to the final yeah and by the way if edmonton had a goalie like jordan bennington they would have beaten them too. That was really fun hockey, even though it was a, only a four-game series. That was just fun hockey to watch. It was like the '80s. It was every, every game was six-five, five-four. The teams didn't bother with defense. So I really enjoyed the series, even though it lasted only four games. And Colorado won. The Brewers fired Bruce Cassidy. Man, we talk about how fragile sports is. The the Bruins played against the Blues in the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs finals. They have never missed the playoffs under Bruce Cassidy. But they fire him yesterday. If the Bruins win Game 7, he's probably their coach for, what, four or five more years? Probably. You get a much longer grace period if you Mm hoist the cup. Yeah, but again, think about the way that Doug Armstrong has been able to keep this Blues window open. Think just back to 2019. It's not that long ago. And we've lived through a global pandemic Mm -hmm. and a shortened season and a bubble and all sorts of things that are used as caveats when assessing a team and or a coach's production. And here are the Blues who had their hottest player, their goalie, not been taken out, could have been going to the Stanley Cup final again. And the team that they beat in Game 7 of that Stanley Cup final just a few years ago, firing their head coach. And the guy who fired the coach allowed the team to get old. 36-year-old number one center, Marchand injured. You you have to expect that at, what, 34? Uh, They lose Tory Krug and never really effectively replaced him as a quarterback on the power play, although Charlie McAvoy is a really good player. But they don't have the sort of influx of young talent that the Blues have enjoyed enjoyed under Doug Armstrong. So, Michelle, you're 100% right. We're lucky that we have the, the people running our team that we do. We do, and that applies to the Cardinals as well. It's so difficult to not only set up a team to win and be competitive, but to keep that window open. And the Cardinals and Blues are really model franchises when it comes to having a strong veteran presence and cycling in young talent that they've developed. Mm-hmm. They really are at the top of their game when it when it comes to the construction of teams. NFL, the uh, LA Rams have re-signed Aaron Donald. He gets actually just a raise for the next three Three years, three years, ninety-five million added to his contract with sixty-five million guaranteed. Here's ESPN's Adam Schefter. The Rams and Aaron Donald have reached agreement on a new deal. This really is old deal that just gives him more money, gives him basically sixty million dollars in a two-year extension. It leaves him under contract for the three years and basically makes him the highest-paid non-quarterback in history. It's ninety-five million over the three years of the contract. 
You compare that to other quarterbacks, it's a big number. And essentially, that deal is getting done today. And it ensures that Aaron Donald now will be back for the Rams. Now, Donald's cap number actually goes down $2.5 million. Michelle, the one thing from 2004, last time the St. Louis Rams missed the playoffs, until the Rams left, the, the biggest thing that we missed out on with that team leaving was Aaron Donald. I think we were robbed of Aaron Donald's yeah. career. Imagine how beloved he would have been here in St. Oh, Louis. Oh, man. He would have been, for some of us, the, the greatest athlete we've seen. Now, Albert Pujols is obviously in that conversation, mm-hmm. but Aaron Donald is a freak of an athlete. And I mean that with such endearment. He's amazing. And it's a real shame that we didn't get to see him play. The Dome would have been going crazy for Aaron Donald. And by the way, his contract, yes, you're the highest paid non-quarterback. Take it or leave it. Early take it or leave it. He's still underpaid. I'll take that, yeah. Based on the way that he can disrupt and change a game. He's the singular most dominant player in the league. He's still underpaid. According to Pro Football Focus, he has the most pressure since 2014. And he's and, double and, and triple team out of regular and, and, and that's not for interior defensive linemen. Or whatever. That's literally the most overall. So, like, the fact that, you know, hand in the dirt and, and stand-up pass rushers haven't equaled his numbers, the best in the game, is preposterous. I mean, he's yeah. he's, he's amazing. Right. And he, no one's ever done it like him, or at least not in the last 30 years. Yeah. Michelle, you said it best. We were robbed of him. And finally, Phil Mickelson officially announced to play in the first LIV event this weekend. It's going to be on YouTube. Great. So Phil's Phil and DJ are going to watch. So, okay, you're going to show golf on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I am not a TV streaming executive. But I do know the golf demographic because I'm right in the middle of it. And you I, are the golf demo. <laughs> I am. And I also know the YouTube demographic. The, the golf demographic does not want to go and sit in front of a screen, a, t- a computer screen or an iPad, for three hours watching golf. And the typical YouTube demographic that is watching on their phone is not going to watch DJ and Phil for three hours either. It's just a weird mix. And I get that they have tons of money. The Saudis do. It doesn't matter to them. But how is this going to work when nobody is really going to watch? The golf demographic like me is going to sit in front of their their 75, 80-inch screen. They're going to watch PGA events. They aren't going to take the time to go to YouTube, even YouTube TV, which is even if you're watching it on your smart TV. We are not going to do that. We're just going to go to CBS or NBC and watch the PGA Tour. We are not going to go to the trouble to watch two golfers that we know on the LIV Tour on YouTube. So I imagine they're trying to hook a younger demographic. Mm -hmm. And even though Phil Mickelson... I'm going to take Dustin Johnson out of this conversation because he just recently joined the fold here. Um, Phil Mickelson, one of the dominant golfers that we've seen, lefty is one of the most popular golfers in the game. He's still 51 years old. And I don't think that the the average young person who is using YouTube frequently is all that hyped about a golfer in their 50s. Exactly. Now, Dustin Johnson might be different because he is younger. He has a, a different sort of presence. He's more in, I would say, the pop culture genre. I, I don't know. Phil's, Phil's pretty transcendent, but he's had a lot of negative press lately, too. You know, it's it's different. Now, had Tiger Woods taken the billion dollars mm-hmm. offered to him, I think that a lot more people would be figuring out how to get YouTube, but you're right. I don't think that there's necessarily a, a meshing of the Venn diagram between YouTube users and golf viewers. No. you're, And that's the biggest thing for me. And again, I don't think that the, the people that are paying the bills here have necessarily thought that through or care about it. But if, if I have a choice on a Sunday afternoon between LIV and having to push an extra button 
and and just turning on my TV and going to Channel Four, Channel Five. I'm going to Four or Five and going to the guys that I know. Yeah, see, I have I have YouTube. I have all of the streaming options, yeah. so it's not that difficult once you have it. But and I know that golf is skewing younger. A lot of yeah. younger people are really into golf. Um, but I don't know if this particular entity is something that they're going to be interested in. Right. No, they and those people are still. If you've got Colin Morikawa and Rory on a Sunday afternoon, or DJ and whoever Lee Westwood, you're going to watch Colin Morikawa and the the younger people are going. The, the LIV took all the old guys. The younger people are going to be attracted to the younger players, aren't they? And let's be completely honest here. Where's Tiger? Because that's yeah. what we're all going to be right. watching anyway. If, yeah. ti- if Tiger's yeah. in the mix, we're watching whatever it is right. that Tiger's and doing. And we might only see Tiger four times a year yeah. for the rest of his career anyway. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. We would welcome your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio, great to have you with us. And it is time for Start One, Bench One, Cut One. Okay, Michelle, we're going to have Tyler O'Neill and we're going to have Dylan Carlson back. We're also still going to have Brendan Donovan and Juan Yepes around for the Cardinals. Fourth of July, Jack Flaherty is on turn, but... Don't know if he's back yet or not. Fourth of July in the Cardinal lineup, start one, bench one, cut one. In terms of the likelihood of being there, Flaherty, O'Neill, Carlson. Uh, in the starting lineup. So I am going to actually, you said fourth of July? Fourth of July, a Monday against the Braves. I'm going to start Jack Flaherty. I am too. Because... Everything is seemingly positive out of his rehab. He's looking strong. He's feeling healthy, which is the most important. And I think we could see him by the end of the month. So coming up on 4th of July, that might even be his second time getting a start for your (laughs) St. Louis Cardinals. I'm going to start Jack Flaherty. I'm going to bench Tyler O'Neill, and I'm going to cut Dylan Carlson. Okay. I'm going to change the other two. I'm going to start Flaherty as well. On turn, ready to go. I'm going to uh, bench Dylan Carlson and I'm going to cut O'Neal. I think there's a better chance of a guy like Brendan Donovan playing in place of O'Neal than in place of Carlson. That's why I'm going to do it. Even though O'Neal seems to be more on track than he, Carlson? He, he does. But I just it seems like they're more likely to sub in a, a left-handed hitter like Donovan for a Carlson. I think Carlson, when he's back, probably plays every day. O'Neal's going to have to produce again, and I hope he does. We'll see. You can't not play Brendan Donovan. You have to play him, right? He's been so great. He's a revelation. He's so fun to watch. Randy, start one, bench one, cut one. Guys who are going to be the most impactful in these NBA finals. Not who's going Mm -hmm. to be the MVP. Because you know it will likely... It's going to be one of two guys. Correct. 
and they're both in this mix. <laughs> Good. But is it Clay Thompson, Jason Tatum, or Steph Curry? Start one, bench one, cut one. Okay, I. Uh, this is a homer pick, totally. But I also think that Tatum plays better defense than either Curry or Clay. I think because of his game on both ends of the floor, I'm going to go with Tatum. I'm going to go with Curry too, and I'm going to cut Clay. I kind of thought Draymond would be in there. I kind of did too, but I also think if Clay doesn't show up as Clay mm-hmm. Thompson, I don't know if the Warriors take this. I don't think so either. But I also think that, like the other night, in a regular season game, Draymond gets tossed, doesn't he? He gets a technical for his little kerfuffle with with Brown, and he's such a he's the best defender on the floor. If you take both teams, even though you have the defensive player of the year, I, I think that he, Draymond, on both ends of the floor, I would take him ahead of Curry and Clay. Actually, really, I, I would, but it, not ahead of Tatum. Not ahead of Tatum. In any any other game, I think Draymond Green would have been out by the middle of the third. They got to rein him in. Not, not, just, yep. not just with like stupid fouls. He is literally bulldozing guys like a lead fullback on screens right now. It's egregious. And, if, if, and if the I, officials if, don't care. Yeah, if I was Udoka, I would be in the ear of the officials. I mean, he's moved. I, I've never seen It's the most egregious thing I've ever seen. He's yep. literally running through guys to clear out space for his shooters. Yep. And you I can't get, allow that. Uh, if I'm an official, I don't want to kick Draymond Green out of the finals either. But at some point, you have to draw the line. You have to say, okay, you, you have to say to him, Look, next time we're calling the T and you're gone. And he knows how disruptive he is yep. and he revels in it. Yeah, he really does. All right, what do we got from the text line, Matthew? 65780. You guys don't know the Warriors. Clay is so much better on, than Tatum. Start one, bench one, cut one. Clay, Jalen Brown, or Al Horford for the X Factor in game three? Clay Horford or Brown? Jalen Brown. I like that. Because the Celtics are home, I'm going to start Horford. And I will, uh, you know what? I'm I'm going to bench Brown and and cut Clay. See, I'm still starting Clay. I I think that he's going to be such an X factor in this series. So I'm starting Clay. I will bench Horford and cut Brown. Oh, I like this one. Start one, bench one, cut one. The Enjoy Illinois 300, uh, the PGA Tournament, or the MLB All-Star Game. Obviously, events here in St. Louis. Well, I'm going to start the PGA Championship because that was one of the most remarkable sporting events I have ever attended in my entire life. Not only because of the crowds and the way it was executed, but Mm -hmm. Tiger was making his comeback. And I have never felt energy like that. Watching Tiger come down 18 and the mob of people that followed him. And you could hear a pin drop when he was getting ready to hit a ball because people were just on the edge of their seats wanting to watch this man. He's the Beatles. So just for the fact that he could have won that tournament and was coming back, it was right before he won the Masters, I'm taking the PGA Championship. Um, I was not at the Enjoy Illinois 300. Randy, you were, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts on how the event was, and I heard it was great. Mm -hmm. But we are a baseball city, so I'm going to have to bench the baseball all-star game and cut the enjoy illinois 300 even though i heard it was a spectacular turnout it was and recency bias would lead us to take the enjoy illinois 300 but i'm just like you and we were within 50 yards of each other 
on Sunday at the PGA. And yeah. it was unbelievable because you were at 18, I was at 10. And we're sitting there, and Tiger makes a shot on 14. And then we've got a screen that's got a seven-second delay. So we hear the roar from uh-huh. across the course. And then seven, seven seconds later, we see Tiger hit the putt on 14. It was unbelievable. And because of the the Tiger factor, and because we set records. We, we set records for the PGA Championship that still hold. I'm going to go with that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bench the All-Star Game. Not only was it the All-Star Game in St. Louis in a baseball town, but it was Albert's party. And even though Albert didn't win the Home Run Derby or didn't win Game MVP, it was a celebration of Albert here in St. Louis, which was cool. And then, yeah, the Enjoy Illinois 300 was awesome on Sunday. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the crowd was sensational. The The action was great. The, the sound was great. But just in terms of overall... Enjoyment, enjoy Illinois 300. Uh, I think having it number three on this list is not a disgrace, but I'm going to go with you. Yeah, my favorite part of the Enjoy Illinois 300 was after the race, guys like Joey Logano just being like, yeah, St. Louis absolutely killed it today. Yeah. You just love seeing that kind of stuff. Start one, bench one, cut one. I like when they get tricky. Stan Kroenke's Avalanche, Stan Kroenke's Rams, or Stan Kroenke himself. Start one, bench one, cut one. Oh, that's easy. You start the abs, you mm-hmm. bench the rams, you cut the man himself. Yeah, that is that is very easy. Thank you, Matthew. No problem, Randy. And thanks for your text. We do appreciate them here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, one of the great baseball historians, Tim Kirkjian, will join us from ESPN with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And one of our favorite guests, one of our favorite people is ESPN's Tim Kirkjian. And if you didn't get the opportunity to read read Tim's piece at ESPN.com about his brother, Matt, I urge you to do so. Tim joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Tim, you detail your brother being diagnosed with ALS in the story. And we just want you to know here in St. Louis, we're thinking of you and we're praying for you. And, And we thank you for joining us this morning. Well, thank you, Randy. This is a uh, wretched, insidious disease, and we need to get the word out that help is needed for these people, including my brother. But he's doing exceptionally well under terrible circumstances, so thanks thanks very much. You got it, and we appreciate you joining us. All right, let's start, as you know, when you're on in St. Louis uh, with the Cardinals. They're a half game out in the National League Central. They've had a lot of injuries. They're going to get Flaherty back. What are your impressions of the Cardinals here as we sit on June 7th? Well, if I were a Cardinal fan, I'd be thrilled where that team is right now. The best pitcher on the team hadn't pitched yet. Tyler O'Neill was great last year, hasn't done much, and he's going to eventually get hot. Nolan Arenado had a difficult month of May, um, and they're still right there. They obviously have an elite defensive team when everybody's healthy. Their pitching is better than I thought it would be, and it will get better when Flaherty returns. Who knows, beginning of July, whenever that is. Um, and their bullpen's pretty good, too. Um, I still wonder if they're going to score enough runs to be a World Series champion, but they're certainly better than I thought they were, and I I thought they could make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. Now I think they're, they might have a chance to win the division, which is saying something when the Brewers have the pitching that the Brewers have. 
Tim, they have Paul Goldschmidt. Of course they're going to score runs every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was absurd what he did in the month of May. Um, he and Stan Musial and Rogers Hornsby are the only Cardinals ever to 400 with 10 homers in a month. And, you know, those are two of the greatest six greatest hitters of all time. And every time I saw him swing the bat in May, he hit it hard somewhere. And, you know, he hit in 25 straight games. I've lost track of the on-base streak. Last I looked, it was 42. I mean, that's pretty darn impressive what he's doing. You can make a case he's the MVP of the National League so far, maybe him or Manny Machado. But just shows you when that guy is locked in, and man, is he locked in. Um, there aren't many better players in the game than Paul Goldschmidt. Speaking of making a case, Kim, uh, excuse me, Tim, you said that the best pitcher on the Cardinals hasn't even pitched yet, and I would argue that the best pitcher on the Cardinals has been leading the way, and that's Adam Wainwright, who I think has been the best pitcher on the Cardinals for the past couple years now. He continues to elevate this team. He defies his age. He defies the odds. And as he and Yachty inch closer to that all-time battery record, a lot of spotlight has been put on the two of them. I think that most people agree Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer, but what do you think Adam Wainwright would need to add to his resume for him to be considered a Hall of Famer as well? Yeah, he's he's been a great pitcher for a long, long time, and it's remarkable how good he is in his 40s. Um, I think he needs a couple more really good years to make it to the Hall of Fame. But if you don't make it to the Hall of Fame and you're one of the best Cardinal pitchers ever, you're maybe the greatest number 50 of all time, and you're pitching this effectively this late into your career, um, that's an amazing accomplishment. And he's he should be a reminder to all of our pitchers, especially our young pitchers. If you know what you're doing, you don't have to throw 100. If you know what you're doing, you don't have to strike out 10 guys every game. You can strike out none and still pitch really well for seven innings. That's what Adam Wainwright should be teaching everyone is the understanding of the art of pitching is still the most important thing, even more so than great, great stuff. And he still has good stuff, and that curveball still is elite. Tim, what do you think the hole is in his Hall of Fame resume? Is it the absence of that Cy Young Award? Well, we've had guys win a Cy Young. I mean, go to the Hall of Fame without a Cy Young. But, you know, if you're going to be around 200 wins, you're going to have to get a Cy Young. You're going to have to have a slightly lower ERA. Look, I'm not going to build a case against Adam Wainwright. He's <laughs> way too good to do that. I'm just saying there are a lot of really good pitchers with similar numbers, Oral Hershiser, David Cohn, Kurt Schilling, who are not in the Hall of Fame with similar numbers to Adam Wainwright. You have to have something that absolutely stands out. He's got a bunch of things that stand out. But, yes, uh, a Cy Young would help, and lowering his ERA and a few more wins would help, but he's running out of time. ESPN's Tim Kirkjian with us on 101 ESPN. And, Tim, Joe Girardi gets fired last week. When you look at the group of players that he had to manage, did he really have a chance? I don't think so. Could they have done better? Of course. Do they probably need to hear a new voice there? Yes, I think they do. But when you have a bad defensive team, you simply cannot win. I mean, you look at the championship caliber teams over the years, 
every one of them or none of them was a bad defensive team. And that's what the Phillies have been, especially in the outfield. And you also can't win with an erratic bullpen, which they've had now for three years, if not longer. So certainly it's suggesting they could have played better under Joe Girardi and they didn't, but I'm saying Earl Weaver, Whitey Herzog, pick anyone and put them in the middle of a team that can't catch it very well and doesn't get the final outs of a game very well, it's really hard to win that way, especially in a division with the defending world champs and the New York Mets, who have have been the best team or second best team in the National League pretty much all year. Tim, it was good news, bad news for the Angels last night. Good news was that Mike Trout had a single and he broke his career worst 0 for 26 drought. Yikes. But the bad news is, is that they lost their 12th game in a row. What's going on with the Angels? Well, until last night, they had pitched really poorly during this stretch. Their their ERA was over seven. Their bullpen ERA was around eight. And that's not going to win you very many games. They also, three weeks ago, were the highest scoring team in the American League. And that's gone away, too, with Anthony Rendon getting hurt, Taylor Ward getting hurt. And now, of course, Mike Trout is in a you know a historic slump for him. Over twenty six, he's never done that before. So everything just kind of fell apart at the same time. It was encouraging last night for them that Noah Syndergaard pitched very well, but um, no team that ever lost twelve games in a row has gone to the playoffs. And with six playoff teams, the Angels still have a chance, but uh, they are in a terrible cycle right now. Hey, Tim, you mentioned that the Mets have the best record in the league. The defending world champions are managed by Brian Snitker. Uh, Dusty Baker is having success in Houston. It seems like the old guys are having success. Should we draw anything from the fact that these veteran managers who are, they've accepted analytics, but they aren't guided totally by analytics. Should we take anything out of their success? Well, I think you're asking the wrong guy. I'm 65 years old. So, yes, I think experience, especially in the art of managing, is critical. And I think uh, analytics are very important today. I love some of the numbers we have. But when we go too far in that direction and we stop watching the games, which I believe we have to some degree, and we stop relying on the instincts and the eyes and ears of our best coaches, managers, players, instructors, I think we're making a mistake. And I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that Dusty Baker is back and has revived the Astros. And, you know, Buck Showalter is back. He's 65 years old also. And he has changed the tenor and the tone on that team. And they're playing exceptionally well. I, I think we need to recognize that, you know, veteran hands, experienced coaches, managers, they really play a big role today, whether people want to believe that or not. Tim, the Cardinals saw the Cubs for the first time this season over the weekend. They had a five-game set up at Wrigley. And the Cardinals have consistent success, and the Cubs are in the midst of a yet another rebuild. What do you think about this approach? Do you think that the Cubs' rebuild is going to work out for them? Well, I saw two of those games. I saw the month, the Friday night game, and I did the Saturday game on the radio. So I got a good look at the Cubs. The Cubs have some interesting young players. Christopher Morrell, their center fielder, 
second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, wherever you want to play him, is an interesting kid, and he's only 22 years old. But it's going to take some time for the Cubs to rebuild this team. Offensively, they're not particularly good. They're not a particularly good defensive team. They have some interesting young pitching. Caleb Killian came up the other night. That was a impressive. Well, it's good that they got him to the big leagues, but Cubs have a ways to go here, and they're going to have to invest a little bit more money in making this team better if they're going to stay long-term with the Brewers and the Cardinals, who I don't think are going away anytime soon. Uh, one more thing, Tim, and I, I've been asking people this question over the course of the last couple of weeks. In 2017, Paul Goldschmidt was third in the National League MVP voting. Nolan Arenado was fourth. If somebody would have told you in 2017 that Goldschmidt and Arenado would be playing for the same franchise, how far down the list do you think you would have put the Cardinals with the, the big money teams, Yankees, Dodgers, uh, Orioles, or not Orioles, Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, uh, Cubs at that point? You, you had Rizzo and, and Bryant still, but they were going to be free agents. How far down the list do you think the Cardinals would have been if you, you would have said, okay, these two guys are going to play the corner for one franchise? Well, I would have put any team down the list that they would get both of those guys, but the Cardinals certainly down the list. I mean, anytime you see someone like Arenado, uh, you think, well, he's going to go to a big market team. And at the time, the Yankees were looking for a third baseman, and the Mets have been looking for a third baseman in recent years also. So I think it's a tribute to the to the Cardinals. They They were very creative and found a way to get both of those guys. Now, of course, they have to surround them with even more talent and see where it goes from here. But to repeat, I I like where the Cardinals are now. I, Nolan Gorman's a good young player, and he's not just a big, strong guy who swings as hard as he can and tries to hit a home run every at-bat like so many others. That guy, despite all the strikeouts and all the swing and miss, he has a good approach. He'll keep those hands back against a left-handed pitcher and hit a hard ground ball up the middle once in a while. I like what I see with the Cardinals. I think they're going in the right direction at a pretty good rate of speed. Tim Kirchin, it's always good to hear your voice. And again, we repeat, we uh, urge people to read your piece about your brother Matt at ESPN.com. And uh, again, tell him that uh, St. Louis is thinking of him. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Michelle. See you. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Take care. That is the great Tim Kirchin on 101 ESPN. Great piece. Everyone should read it. Yeah. And by the way, he he understands the Cardinals. He gets what their focus is. You, Mr. DeWitt likes to have stars. And then what you do is you supplement your young players with stars. I don't think if you, you would have gone back five years ago to take the number three and four guys in the MVP voting, I don't know that they could have supplemented much better than the way they have yeah. in the last, well, 2019 and then 2021. They've done a, a remarkable job. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, it's Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We do have Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. 
Michelle's moment. Randy Carricker, Matthew Rocchio, great to have you with us. And Michelle, the Cardinals do take on the Tampa Bay Rays, who seem to go to the playoffs every year, and they do so with a minimal payroll. The Cardinals go to the playoffs a lot. The Dodgers go to the playoffs a lot. The Yankees go to the playoffs a lot. But take it or leave it, the Tampa Bay Rays are the smartest organization in sports. In sports? In all of sports. Oh, wow. Um, well, I'm trying to run through other organizations quickly. They're up there. They're certainly up there. I, I think, and here's the thing. The, I'm trying to think across every, everybody, all sports. Everybody else has a cap to deal with. So that evens things out. And a floor to deal with, too. Basketball, football, hockey all have the caps. For the Rays to do what they do with a minimal payroll, and they're allowed to do the minimal payroll thing. They're always in the bottom 10 in terms of payroll. And to do what they do against the Yankees and the Red Sox on a regular basis, I think they are. You know what? I'm going to leave it just because I'm going to take the field and because they haven't won. If they would have mm-hmm. won, won, won a World Series. A World if Series, they would have not taken that's why I'm Blake not, Snell out. Because you're not that smart if you're taking Blake Snell out when it's he's true. dealing through six in a World Series game and there's nothing left to lose. Uh, so, no, you're not the smartest organization in sports just because of that move alone, which I <laughs> thought was just ridiculous. Um, but without really digging into it, I'm going to take the field on this one, so I'll leave it. But what they've done is really special. Yeah, I, I would say they... The Giants are, are up there. The, and the San Antonio Spurs, really, when you look at the stars that other teams won with and the stars that the Spurs were able to win with. Just a different level of glitz and glamour. I mean, people don't want to hear this, but the Cardinals have got to be in that conversation. They are, absolutely. You got the Rockies to pay you $51 million to take yep. Nolan Arenado. You're 100% correct. No doubt. And look at this infusion of young talent that we've mm-hmm. had. And this is not the first time that this has happened. And they never finish last or in the bottom 10. They never have a top 10 pick in the draft. And they wind up finding these guys like Brendan Donovan. They trade Matt Adams for Juan Yepes. You you get Dakota Hudson. It, it's pretty amazing what they've been able to accomplish. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you a GM who has never had to buy out a contract and won a championship, Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mazel to our friend Sean McVay, by the way. Oh, yeah. He got married over the weekend to his longtime girlfriend, Veronica, in Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. And I want to get your take on this. So sometimes at weddings, they have a bride's cake and they have a groom's cake. What? Yeah, there's a main cake and then there's Mm -hmm. a bride's cake and a groom's cake. Mm -hmm. Sean McVay's groom cake was shaped like the Lombardi Trophy. And he joined the band on stage for a version of California Love. Take it or leave it. That's a little lame at your wedding to be flaunting the Lombardi trophy. I'm going to leave it because he just won it. If, if, if it would have been like a dream and they hadn't won it yet, or if it would have been five years ago, I'd say lame. But because they just won it and he's getting married right after they won it. I mean, the, the thing is in the, the real one is in his possession. I'm, I'm going to leave it because I don't think it is. But what about the separation of church and state? Why does your wedding have to be all about your career? Well, Sean McVeigh. I mean, everything's about him. <laughs> I'm just saying. I know you yeah. haven't been there before, but maybe act like you've been there before. Right. Now, why he doesn't have the American Idol trophy there, too, I don't know. Right. You're just discriminating against your multitude of jobs. Right. And, by the way, for him to be like, oh, I'm, maybe I'm not going to coach anymore. I don't really know if my passion is going to be there. Yeah, right. You have the Lombardi trophy at your wedding. Yeah. Shaped like a cake. Yeah. It's all about Sean.
Which, hey, hey, he earned it, right? He's he's the one with the ring right now. True. I'm not even hating. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, what do we got? Take it or leave it. If the Blues would have gotten past the Avs, they would have definitely beat the Oilers, and they'd be playing in the cup final. Take it. Clearly take it. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt. <sighs> Usually the take-its are more positive. Kadri. That guy. Somebody did say take Some it surgery, though, may not play in the finals. Somebody said take it or leave it. I'm actually okay with the Avs winning now that I know now that Kadri might be out. Leave it. Leave it. You know who owns Horrible. that team? Why would we ever cheer for the Avalanche? Never, ever, ever. N- not only does Stan Kroenke own the team, they beat the Blues, and they have a player who knocked out Jordan Biddington. But you know what? We would hate them just as much if they didn't have Kadri. Yeah, well, of course, but that just adds fuel it to adds the fire. adds fuel to the fire, right. Take it or leave it, waffles or pancakes? Well, that's not a take it or leave it. That's, that's, that's a this or, or that. That's, that's not a take it or leave it. That's not a take it or leave it. My bad. I, I saw it and I was like, I love food ones. Never mind. Take it or leave it. Mount Rushmore of Blues defensemen. Pronger, McKinnis, Petrangelo, and Barkley Plager. Mm. Pronger, McKinnis. Those are the top Petro, two. Barkley Plager. Petro, first guy to hoist the cup. Yeah. Yeah. I, hard I think, hard to leave him out. I, I think the, the first three are really easy. But then, I mean, you had Bob Plager, you had Al Arbor, you had Serge Savard. Or not Serge Savard. Um, uh, the big uh, Montreal guy. Moore. Dickie Moore. You had a lot of guys. Yeah, and Guy Lapointe, not Serge Savard. I was thinking of Guy Lapointe. You've had a lot of pretty good defensemen on the, in this franchise. But in ter- Bark does have his number retired for them. He was a really good player, so I'll take it. Yeah, Bark is fine. You could have said any French name, and I would have been like, yeah, that's that's who you were thinking of, Randy. Totally. I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. He's the point search of hard. <laughs> Six and one half dozen yeah, together. that makes the same thing to me. Take it or leave it. If Wayno ends the year with 195-plus wins and they make the playoffs, he's back in 2023. Take it. If he's only five away from 200, I think that might be too tempting for him. Hmm. But if, gonna... if it is Yachty's last season and they're yeah. so connected... I wonder how much that would weigh into his decision. I would think it would. Because when you're 40, and well, I guess Goldie is what? He's going to be 34. So Goldie right now, and always will be seven years younger than we know. So I guess there's people within his age range. A lot of times when you get to be 40 and you've got a bunch of 25-year-olds in the clubhouse, it's really hard to connect with other guys. Brady, I think, is 15 years older than his next oldest teammate. (laughs) But... uh, I don't think that that's a factor for Wayno. I think he relates to everybody, but I'm going to leave it. I think that Wayno, with the family situation and uh, his kids getting older, I think he's going to retire. Okay, so Tyler O'Neill is currently sitting at a 195 batting average and two home runs this year. This texter says, take it or leave it, Tyler O'Neill will finish with 240 batting average and 25 home runs. Wow. 25? That's a 23 home run second half plus, essentially. I'm going to leave that. (laughs) But I mean, that would be insane. Yeah, that would be wild. Yeah, and he has two right now. The Cardinals have 107 games left. That would be a home run every fourth game. I'm going to take it. You're taking it. <laughs> Tylo. Tylo. Bro Neal. Tylo. Please, please just go with Bro Neal. Wait, my, my Tylo. No, that's no. not right. We can't. His, right. Tyler, his name's not Low Neal. Ty, Ty, Tyler. T Y L O. No. <laughs> no. What is happening here? Tylo. Tyo. I blame myself. How about just O'Neal? Bro Neal. Bro Neal. 
So I'm good with Brony. I got to tell you something. All right. So I go to the gym a lot. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be strong and <laughs> healthy. Flex Try. on him, Michelle. Well, no, I'm, I'm attempting to be strong. I can't lift more than 15 pounds. I'm weak. Give a tiny little I flex am on him. a weakling. My poor trainer. He's like, can you stop complaining and lift some weights? There's a reason you're not making progress. However, I forgot that it's summertime and the dudes are back at the gym. Oh, All go. the bros have come back from college, mm, the oh. frat dudes, and they've infiltrated the gym. And I feel like this is an anthropology session for me trying to observe them because they're such an interesting subsect, <laughs> Randy. They have these tight biker shorts that they wear mm. and these interesting like cr- cut off tops and they're all filming themselves lifting and they take these mirror selfies and they have these big jugs of water there's it's a whole different deal and i'm just fascinated by them and i sometimes hear them talking and they're like dude that new maverick was sick bro have you seen that can't skip leg day dude need to make sure to get your gains bro how much protein are you using so i'm wondering if tyler o'neill is actually a bro is my entire point we look at his body type and we just assume that he's mm-hmm. a bro but would he really act like that does he actually fit into the bro category i don't think he does i don't think he does either no. so I, that's I just why i don't know with the boys eh? i just don't know if that's a good nickname for him because i don't know i don't see him i mean he probably has the jug of water but i don't see him filming himself doing back squats at either. the gym no, and, and certainly couldn't do the dude because he, you know, he he just wants to get into into the gym and get old. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's fresh take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. What's the difference between me and you? Me and you. Me and you. 808 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Sunday, Rick Morrissey of the Chicago Sun-Times had a column about how the Cardinals were, as a franchise, so much more consistent than the Cubs. That shouldn't be a shock to anybody. But there were a couple of things in there, Michelle, that I thought were interesting. Number one, he, he did... Give the Cardinals some credit for actually being consistent. Even yeah. though they haven't won a World Series since way back in 2011, they have been pretty consistent winners. The other thing is that he tried to make the argument that the Cubs should be better because they're so much bigger of a market than uh, St. Louis is, the Chicago is. And it's like, and I don't know if the guy doesn't understand TV or radio, but he called St. Louis the sec, uh, 72nd largest city, which it is, but we are the 23rd market. He, he really kind of cherry-picked the the Cubs being in a larger market than St. Louis is. But the bottom line is, as a Cub observer, he appreciates what the Cardinals have been able to accomplish in a smaller market. What the Cubs are doing right now is a big risk because just because it worked out for you in 2016 does not mean that it's going to happen again. And frankly, I think it's inexcusable for the Cubs in a top three market in this country to be undergoing yet another rebuild and to have such a lack of success over the past, frankly, 20 years. Since 1999, the Cardinals have only finished under 500 twice, 99 and 2007. Since the Ricketts family brought the Cubs in 2009, the Cubs have finished under 500 six times and they're likely going to again. The fact that they rank 14th in pay or play role Payroll at $148.5 million is 
shameful. They should be spending more money. But as it's pointed out in the piece at the Chicago Sun-Times, the Cardinals fan base has a higher level of expectations. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really interesting about the Cubs and the relationship they have with their fans is for so long, the brand of Cubs baseball was we're the lovable losers. We're not great, but it's a good time to go to Wrigley and have a beer. Wrigley was the star. Wrigley was the star. And then the Ricketts come in and they change that. They turn what is an old cathedral of baseball into a modern day amusement park. They add the Jumbotron. They build all of the features around it. Now you can get Starbucks and Chipotle right outside. It is American consumerism is what Wrigley has turned into. Yes, it's still the bones of the old beast, but it's not the same. Anyone who's been to Wrigley since they've made these changes can attest it's not the same. And part of that is we're going to update this so we can bring in more revenue, which we are going to use to build this into a winner. And it worked for them in 2016. But that shouldn't be the goal. The goal shouldn't be, yes, we've been lovable losers for a long time and we gave you the ride of your life and we captured one World Series championship. That should be good enough. That team was built to be a dynasty. And just because it does, it didn't work out that way doesn't mean that they should trade off all of their great stars and undergo yet another rebuild because really it's just a way for them to make more money. And when you look at the team that won in 2016, they thought that that team was going to be together and last for a long time. Egos got in the way, and Joe Madden was forced out. But when you look at that team, it's inexcusable, for example, that Chris Bryant isn't still a member of that franchise. And when you look at the money that they have been able to generate, and I know that their owner said that they suffered biblical losses during the pandemic, but Forbes has them as one of the most profitable franchises in the game. They are a franchise, and I'm one that, by the way, I I know that expenditure doesn't equal success in baseball, but there is no reason for Chris Bryant to not be a member of the Cubs. There is no reason for Anthony Rizzo to not be a member of the Cubs. That should be a foundation with which they're building around right now, rather than having literally no stars on their team. Who's the star of the Cubs? Uh, Chris Morrell, maybe. Yeah. Contreras? Maybe. But they don't have anybody that reaches the level of a Goldschmidt or an Arenado or a Yachty or a Wayne. They don't have anybody. (laughs) Yeah, right. And... For that to happen in that market with that team with their recent success is inexcusable. It really is. It's almost embarrassing when you think about it that the Cubs are at this place yet again. But circling back to my original point, which I did not put the um, exclamation point on just yet, it's because everyone is still going to show up to Wrigley. Mm -hmm. The Ricketts know that their fan base is going to undergo yet another rebuild and they're going to endure losing because it's in their DNA. And frankly, because the weather is so terrible nine months out of the year in Chicago that when you have that good slice in the summer, people are going to show up because it's a great time. It's a great thing to do in Chicago is to go sit in the bleachers and have a beer at Wrigley. It's fun. So people are going to show up. They're not going to demand the level of success the way the Cardinals fans do. Think back to 2019. The Cardinals are in the NLCS, and most Cardinals fans did not think that the Cardinals had a Mm -hmm. chance versus the Nationals. They didn't even sell out. They didn't even sell out because the Cardinals fans are looking at this, they're like, I don't think that this product is good enough. Despite where you are Mm -hmm. in the postseason, I don't think the product is good enough, so I won't be there. If the Cubs were in the NLCS, it doesn't matter what the team looked like or what their chances were. That place would be packed because it would be an event. And for all of those 
that are listening that are saying, well, the, the DeWitts don't want to win. The De- DeWitts are only about money. Two things. Number, number one, the Cubs are all about money. And number two, and Mr. DeWitt mentions this quite often, he asks his people pretty much every day, what is our competitive advantage? Competing is at the core of what the Cardinals do. Mm-hmm. And that's why they were willing to trade El Juris Montero, who could easily be playing third for them today, in a deal in which they got Nolan Arenado. It's why they have Paul Goldschmidt at first rather than Luke and Baker. The Cardinals could easily have those people playing for them right now, but the ownership is desirous of winning and they're trying to compete. The only way that fans are ever going to get more out of the Cubs is by voting with their dollars, which is not showing up. And I don't think that that's going to happen. It's just not because it is such a fun time and it is something to do. But I went back and I read about this rebuild. I wanted to see what the rhetoric was coming out of the Cubs organization when they embarked on this. And this was last year. Jed Hoyer was talking about this rebuild and he said that the organization needed to get more prospect currency and more financial currency moving forward. Okay, I understand. Those are two things that you certainly need in order to build a winner. When you were winning in 2016, why weren't you simultaneously reloading your prospects? Why weren't you thinking about the future? Why weren't you thinking this might not work out? In 2015, they beat the Cardinals in the NLDS. They were a year ahead of schedule. You should have also been reloading your minor league system Mm -hmm. to extend what you had at the major league level. But it doesn't seem like they were doing that. And how much of this infusion of financial currency that you need to recalibrate is actually going to be given to the team? Do we really think that you're going to expand your payroll and we're going to see you go out and spend all of this money in the next two to five years on players? I don't know. No. And they did trade one of the best prospects in baseball to rent Chapman for half a season. And by the way, that worked out because they won the World Series. But then you trade a guy like Eloy Jimenez for Jose Quintana, and Jimenez is a star for the White Sox now. You've traded so many good young players in an effort to try to sustain that 2016 team, rather than just drafting well or using your young players for your own benefit, it really has not worked out for the Cubs. And we asked earlier, I did, about the Rays being one of the smartest organizations in sports. I would argue that the Cubs, aside from that slice with Theo Epstein, are one of the dumbest. Or are they? Because their fans are still going to show up. I wonder if that'll work in the... Well, I I guess it has in the long term. Here's the Rays who are making all these moves and they can't put butts in the seats. Here are the Cubs undergoing yet another rebuild and another losing effort. And Wrigley's packed. I I wonder, though, (laughs) if that thing doesn't turn around, if, if that rebuild doesn't work because of the market size and the stadium size, people will still show up there. But I wonder if they'll have the sway that they've had for the last six years since they won the World Series. I grew up a Cardinals fan. I grew up expecting the team to be in the playoffs, expecting stars to be on the field, expecting a banner to be hung. There's going to be another flag that Mm -hmm. flies at some point. I know that in my lifetime, I will see another Cardinals World Series championship. When you grow up and your identity is, I'm a lovable loser. It's fun. We're cursed. There's a Billy Goat deal. But you know what? It's fun to go. And maybe one day I'll see it. Mm -hmm. When, When all of your life, your condition to think we're not going to win. After you win, it's it's a weird identity yeah. shift. You don't know how to adapt to that. So I think Cubs fans might be more comfortable in this space than they are expecting to win. Yeah, that's a good point. And on on the flip side when you look at the Cardinals and it's not expectation, it's just reality. If you were born 
1901 or later in St. Louis. 1901. So right now it's 2022. For the last 121 years, if you turned 25 in St. Louis, you experienced a Cardinal World Championship. Yes, absolutely. And think about it in relation to the Blues. Blues fans and Cubs fans were kind of in lockstep mm-hmm. for yep. a while. The Blues had never won. They had lost so many in heartbreaking fashion. Granny, we were looking up black salt on the internet. We, we sure were, were we were yeah. going to go reverse a curse at Enterprise Center. So I have empathy for Cubs fans because I know what that feels like. But the difference is, is that Blues fans are also Cardinals fans. So after the Blues win, your expectation level rises because mm-hmm. you know what it is to be a champion. However, think about the way that people in St. Louis talk about the Blues losing and the way they talk about the Cardinals losing. There is more benefit of the doubt given to the Blues because, oh, well, we did get one in 2019. They did a good job. But we know they're also trying. We do. To- absolutely. And I don't think that as a Cub fan, you can necessarily say that. There's totally different circumstances, but I just think when you have craved that one championship mm-hmm. for so long and you get it and it's the best ride of your life, sometimes that's enough. Well, yeah, because a lot of Blues fans, a lot of Cubs fans, a lot of Red Sox fans in 04 said, my life is complete. Yes. When when the team won, my life is complete. And I don't need more than it, this. Right. And with a Cardinal fan, that's exactly right. Boston, any Boston sports fan now, when they win a championship, they don't say, my life is complete anymore. But think about after the the Red Sox won that first World Series. Red Sox fans, it was, it was weird for them. They didn't really know what to do. Right. There was a great HBO documentary, The Curse of the Bambino, that they updated after the Red Sox had won. It's incredible how people... Like people that were on their deathbed after the Red Sox won, they found the peace to to die because the Red Sox had won the World Series. And meanwhile, the Ricketts are thinking, let's go buy a soccer team. Yeah, right. Let's build some more real estate. Yeah, what else can we do outside of building the Cubs? (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, if you're a PGA golfer, would you go to the LIV? Would you work for the Saudis? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Greg Norman, the leader of the LIV Golf Tour, was asked if Tiger Woods had been approached by LIV. And Norman said, indeed, the Tiger had. When asked how much Tiger had been offered, Norman said, mind-blowingly enormous. We're talking about high nine digits. So that would be north of $500 million and I guess south of $1 billion. That's 10 digits. So figure $750, $800 million offered to Tiger Woods by LIV, and Tiger turned it down. And when we saw Michelle Dustin Johnson commit to the LIV last week. We saw him lose his sponsorship. Same thing with Phil Mickelson. The question is for a golfer like Lee Westwood, who's never going to win big on the tour, is it worth it for those guys to essentially sell their soul? Well, they clearly, clearly it is. I was going to say, they these are people who make a lot of money and I'm sure have financial advisors and they probably ran the numbers. If we lost all of our endorsement money and the money that we would make on tour comparably 
with what we're getting from LIV, what would be the disparity there? And clearly from a financial standpoint, not a morality standpoint Mm -hmm. or a public perception standpoint, they have found this to be the most lucrative pathway for them. Now, if you're Tiger Woods, who already has made $1.7 billion in your career and gone through, by the way, a massive public uh, decay Mm -hmm. and come back and earned a lot of goodwill from sports fans and people across the world, that's probably not worth it to you. No, I, and I would guess that the reason that it is worth it to Phil Mickelson is because of $40 million in gambling debts. Tiger probably doesn't, certainly, to the bet to the level of Phil Mickelson. If you are money-motivated or need the money, I think you're much more likely to get into business with these people. And like Phil Mickelson said, they are scary blanker-blankers. They... <laughs> have no problem with killing people. Now, are they going to kill a golfer that would be critical of them on the LIV tour? I doubt, I doubt it. I, I don't know. They're trying to normalize their society through sports. That's what their claim is, is that we're trying to be normalized in the eyes of the rest of the world through sports. I would think, Michelle, over the long haul, they might be able to pull that off. If they change some of their ways in Saudi Arabia and use sports it's like anything else. It's a 24-hour news cycle. We'll forget about that other stuff because we're talking about golf with these people. I don't know if golf was the venue to go. And we were talking off off the air earlier. The venue to go for them was to get involved with the NFL. Yeah, because this is an entity that doesn't really care about the optics and only cares about money. Right. And generating money, spending money, they would have been hand-in-hand hand in that endeavor. But You mentioned the $40 million in gambling debt for Phil Mickelson. A lot of people will never be able to justify that, but they understand maybe that that was a motivator for him. I don't really get it with Dustin Johnson. I know it's a nine-figure deal to play golf, guaranteed. That's a lot of money. It's very difficult to walk away from that and turn that down. But how much money is enough money? Well, when it... To to leave the tour and and really, in the eyes of a lot of people, sully sully your public reputation, lose brand sponsorships that could have been lucrative for you. You must think this is something that you're going to be able to overcome from a public perception standpoint at some point, or you just frankly don't care. I would say that it's the latter, that he just doesn't care. And number one, in the big scheme of things, how big of a deal is Dustin Johnson anyway? And... He's going to make more. He's almost 40. He's going to make more here with $125 million guaranteed. That's before they ever play a tournament and he gets the winnings. He's going to make more than he could ever have dreamed of making on the PGA Tour. And it was pointed out that LIV kind of fell into the perfect spokesman. Because if somebody asks him about the human rights atrocities of the people that are running this league, he won't have any clue about that. He'll just say, I'm here to play golf because he has no idea who Jamal Khashoggi is. He has no idea about the fact that women in Saudi Arabia didn't drive until five years ago. He, he just, he, he's not, he doesn't have that sort of depth to be able to talk about those sorts of things. So he can legitimately say, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know if that's an excuse anymore. 
I don't know if that's something that people will just brush past and say, well, he's uneducated. Well, you're the one that's signing a mm-hmm. contract with them, a very lucrative contract with them. You And this is widely publicized about your peer in Phil Mickelson. And there was a lot of brushback from his comments. You mean to tell me that in the golf world, you didn't hear about this at all? Sometimes, and you have no comment about this? Sometimes being oblivious can work to your advantage. But I just... And and maybe they'll be sequestered and not have to answer any media questions. But I just can't imagine that if he does get in front of the media, that he won't be pushed to answer some of these things. I think that he'll be asked, but I honestly believe that he has no clue and won't be able to provide a logical answer. He can go full Belichickian. We're on to Cincinnati. Yep. And by that, I mean, yep. I'm just here to play golf. Yep. Or Marshawn, I'm just here to play golf. I'm right. just here so I won't get fined. Yep. I, I think that's probably where Dustin Johnson is in terms of his awareness of the people that he's getting paid by. When $150 million is put in front of you, it's hard to walk away from that. It is. You're going to find all sorts of justifications in your There's mind. There's no doubt. I would. Yeah, of course. It's human nature, which I think is all the more remarkable for Tiger Woods to walk mm-hmm. away from a billion dollars. And I know that he's made more money than he could ever dream of. And at this, he has the luxury of not having to think about the dollar figure. But still, for him to look at a lot of the people on tour who are considering this and or jumping ship to go play an LIV, and then you're going to get offered Four, four to ten times what some of these other people are getting offered, a billion dollars for you to just show up at this point in your career, kudos to him for not caring and for wanting to turn it down. Yeah, and my guess is is that we, although Phil says he's going to play in the U.S. Open, so that'll be interesting, but for most of these guys, we'll never see them again anyway, the, the, the LIV roster. And you know what? The guys are getting paid, so good for them. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Karen Smallman, 101 ESPN. It's time for the fight. It is that time. The exact time is 8.37. Right now in St. Louis, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Yesterday, I was able to maintain the standard of Megamind. I lucked out, and I won the fight. Because I did not want to have Randy come in today on a Tuesday and be at a deficit. I didn't want to have to deal with that, so I got lucky, thankfully. But Megamind is back, and Steve called in, and he is going to be challenging Randy today. Good morning, Steve. How are you? Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for texting in. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Are you ready to go? I am. I am. Okay. Good luck to you, Steve. Question number one. Which current Cardinal has hit the most home runs as a visitor at Dodger Stadium among active players? Is it Albert Pujols, Nolan Arenado, or Paul Goldschmidt? I am going to go with Nolan Arenado. Who was the last goalie to win the Hart Trophy, a.k.a. the NHL MVP? Was that Patrick Waugh, Andre Vasilevsky, or Carey Price? Carey Price. Happy birthday to the answer, Allen Iverson. What college did AI play for? Did he go straight to the NBA from high school? Did he go to VCU or did he go to... 
or did he go to Georgetown? Georgetown. And Aaron Donald is the third defensive player to ever be named to the Pro Bowl in each of their first eight seasons. Lawrence Taylor was the first. Who is the other? Is it Reggie White, Champ Bailey, or Derek Thomas? Uh, I'm going to go with Reggie White. We have conferred and we have the same score. Randy is getting waved in. It's very dark in the hallway. I don't know what's going on. Before We've been doing... Um, construction here at our 101 ESPN mm-hmm. studios and before when they did the updates to the hallway we had those last call lights from the bar you know when they turn them on you don't have to go home but you can't stay here yeah. and now it's dark out there I don't know what's going on I Randy. don't either and they're supposed to I think, just, I think the people who get here earlier than us flipped a switch because it was very bright oh well they're supposed to have a dimmer on those too it's fancy yeah really nice but anyway, Randy was in the dark, so he couldn't see us waving him in. That's true. Randy is back. Actually, it was, you want a, want a tip? Yeah, uh, always. The Mizzou football team may be playing here in St. Louis in 2023. Just a little, that may happen. Hot off the presses. Yep. Sources say? Sources say, yep. Hmm. Could happen. So Randy's in the dark out there, but he comes back with a nugget of news. Mm-hmm. M-I-Z. Oh. Look at you. Megamind is back. Randy, I won yesterday. All right. Thank you. Uh, trust me. I know. Well As I've told everyone, I get such high anxiety when you're out. The fight Burn, is the worst part of the day of when you're Burn out. Burn my tiebreaker. Because I don't want to let you down. I don't <laughs> you want never do. you to never deal do. with the wrath of Randy. But Randy is back and he is facing Steve. So please say good morning to Steve, Randy. Steve, good morning. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Good morning, Randy. Thanks for having me on. Are you ready, sir? Ready. Question number one. For Megamind, which current Cardinal has hit the most home runs as a visitor at Dodger Stadium among active players? Well, this is, I think, going to be pretty easy because I don't think it's Albert. It's either Arenado or Goldie, and it seemed like Nolan had performed really well there. I know Goldie ate up Oracle Park. Not that he didn't hit really well at Dodger Stadium. Uh, Oracle Park and uh, Wrigley. So I think I'm going to go with Nolan. Who was the last goalie to win the Hart Trophy, a.k.a. the NHL MVP? I'm going to go with... uh, I I think it's Carey Price. I'm going to go with Carey Price with the Montreal Canadiens. Happy birthday to the answer, Alan Iverson. Randy, what college did AI play for? He was a Hoya, Michelle, a Georgetown Hoya. Aaron Donald is the third defensive player to ever be named to the Pro Bowl in each of their first eight seasons. Mm. Lawrence Taylor was the first. Who is the other one? I just saw this, as a matter <laughs> of fact. I saw this chart. LT. I don't know what you're talking about, Randy. Um, I pulled this one from my just, uh, you know, osmosis, just the ether. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll do the old lifeline here because I don't remember what I read last night. <laughs> is it Reggie White? Champ Bailey or Derek Thomas? Derek Thomas. Close fight today. Really close fight. Came down to the final question. Final score was three to two. Hmm. Was Randy rusty after a day at the links? Did Steve take him down? Or is Megamind do Megamind things? Matt, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight. Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Sorry, a little quick on the draw there. Just win, baby. 
Here's to the winner. Rusty on the Sounders, not Rusty when it comes to trivia. I'm sorry, Steve. Randy edged out three to two, but good showing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Steve, you thank it. you very Have much. Have a great day, Steve. Thanks. Paul Goldschmidt is the current He's Cardinal Goldie, who huh? has hit the most home runs as a visitor at Dodger Stadium among active players with 17. Wow. 17 bombs for Goldie. Carey Price was the last goalie to win the Hart Trophy. He did it in 2014. AI played his college hoops at Georgetown. And Aaron Donald is the third defensive player to ever be named to the Pro Bowl in each of his first eight seasons. Lawrence Taylor was the first. Derek Thomas is the second. Hmm, how about that? Feeling hot, hot, hot. Oh, it's too hot. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Don't stop believing. Win, 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 win. There we go. I just had to try the machine out. Sure, just making sure it works. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, that's the fight. Mike Claiborne next on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Moment heads to Tampa, where Mike Claiborne is standing by. Claves online. You can follow him on all the socials and watch all the things that they have and great content all the time at Claves online and also the Joe West fifty four sixty podcast. And of course, you can hear Mike Claiborne on Cardinal broadcasts on the radio as well on the Cardinal Radio Network. Uh, Claves, good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm I'm good. We had a day off yesterday, and uh, we got away from baseball. Took in a movie, and just it's good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to tonight playing Tampa. Do you guys stay in St. Pete, or do you guys stay in Tampa? We're in St. Pete. Okay, um, Tampa's one of my favorite and, cities. Well, mine too. And uh, but you know where we're at is cool. I'm I'm not excited about the place we're staying at, but you know what it is what it is because there's nothing around it. So you know it's a 20 minute. Uber ride to anywhere else you want to go. Right. But, you know, other than that, you know what? Here's the deal. It's going to be great weather indoors and outdoors today. So I'm good about that. Claves, before we get into a little baseball, you mentioned you saw a movie. Did you see Maverick by chance? I did. And okay. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was going to say, everyone's been talking about this. I, I have FOMO. I feel like I'm the only person out there who hasn't seen this movie yet. Well, so here's the one thing, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Uh, you know, anytime... Tom Cruise is in a movie. He's always running somewhere. <laughs> and so this doesn't, he, he, he keeps that, that streak alive. He's running in, in one scene and you're like, really? Okay, we got to get a running scene in. But uh, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm a huge movie guy. I love movies, love the old movies. And, but I always have struggled with the Academy on what they deem good art. How this movie doesn't get nominated for something, I will be shocked. And if it doesn't, then that just tells you that the Academy's got their head in the wrong direction as far as evaluating good film. 
Okay, well, that is endorsement enough. I'll definitely have to see it. All right, well, Klaibs, let's talk a little baseball, a successful set for the Cardinals over the weekend. They take three of five from the Cubs, and one of the big storylines emerging is all of these young players and how they are infusing the Cardinals with production and a little bit of energy. But Brendan Donovan, what a gamer he is. He just seems like such a good all-around baseball player. And I know during spring training, Aling Marmol said, this is a guy that we're going to see at some point. But should more of us have seen Brendan Donovan coming? Uh, yeah, because, you know, I got wind about him in the Arizona Fall League. So when I got to spring training, you know, he did everything right. And I really thought he should have made the team coming out of spring training. I think I even shared it with you guys that he should have made the team. But, you know, Michelle, what I'm impressed with is his preparation. So if you walk by his locker, he's got like four gloves there. He takes all four gloves out and, and works out. And just talking to Willie McGee the other day about him and, and Willie, loves this guy because he always wants to be better than he was yesterday. And he made two huge, well, he made several plays in the Chicago series, but defensively he made two huge plays uh, in the field. He he just checks every box that you would want in a player. And uh, the, the question is when everybody is healthy and comes back, where is he going to play? Because he has to play. Yeah. He has to play. And, and- you're going to have Carlson back. You're going to have O'Neal back. And Carlson's a switch hitter, and he's just a kid. I think Tyler O'Neill's going to have to perform, right? Because that's the other spot for Brendan yeah. Donovan. I agree, Randy. Um, and I know that everybody wants to see him hit 30 home runs again to see if it's real. It'll be a challenge to hit 30, I think. But I think the other things are that come into play is that he's got to be more consistent and not strike out as much. You know, Donovan... I think at one point he had more walks than he had strikeouts. And so he's a very balanced person in being able to go to all fields. He can hit with a little power. He does all the things you want him to do. Uh, so I think that that's going to be a challenge, especially when you think about O'Neal has two gold gloves. So he's a very good defender, but so is Brendan Donovan. Brendan Donovan hasn't done anything wrong. Klaibs, we got some positive information about Jack Flaherty over the weekend. When do you think that he's going to return? If you were going to circle perhaps a, a date or a series, when do you expect to see Jack Flaherty back? I think toward the end of the month. Uh, I think they want him to go out for at least two more starts to just build himself up. And uh, I think, um, you know, the last part of the month, uh, you'll see him probably here, if not sooner. You know, and just talking to him, you know, he's, he kept himself physically in great shape. Um, you know, it was just a matter of just getting longer as far as – we don't need another guy who throws four innings, okay? We need some guys who can go seven because we, we've seen what happens when you have a couple of guys go four innings, it burns up your bullpen. And we're going through a really tough stretch right now where because of some guys who couldn't get out of the fourth inning – we're going to have to have two bullpen starts this week just to give Wayno and Miles Spikeless extra days off because of how long they went. So I think when Jack comes back, hey, Jack, we need seven. We need minimum seven. Can you give us seven? If you can't, then stay where you are is where I think you have to look at it. And with that being the case, if you have – well, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. If you have Flaherty and a healthy Wainwright and Michaelis and Hudson and – presumably Matt's coming back. That's the sort of rotation, Mike, that you're talking about going into a series in September or a playoff series that you feel pretty good about. I, I agree, Randy. And then you have other guys in your bullpen 
people they can take over from seven through nine who have battle experience between Cabrera, uh, Gio, uh, Hicks will be back. Uh, you know, and Helsley, you know, I think Helsley's like a guy you got to pay attention to because he's got to give us more, more often. And then you have the, the rookies, you know, Thompson and some other guys that have shown that they have some stuff. So, and, and you're going to need as much pitching as you can find, especially in September when teams break down and pitchers break down. You got to have some guys fill that void. And I really like what we have now because let's face it, we got a couple of guys that are well rested. All right, and, and Jack and Matt, uh, and they'll spell some other guys along the way. So I, I like our chances if we can just stay healthy. Can you imagine what the text line is going to look like tomorrow if Randy Rosarena hits home run tonight? <laughs> oh, and you know what? Here's the thing. So I'm sitting there the other day before the game against Chicago, and I'm like, hey, this will be fun. Uh, uh, you know, our guy, our left-hander, will have a chance to go back and deal with his old organization. And about about four batters later, I'm like, well, the only way that's going to happen is if Memphis goes to Tampa because, you know, he wasn't very good. Right. So I, I kept thinking, all right, this is going to be the one, you know, come up in day that we're going to say, see, told you this guy's going to be pretty good, and he, he couldn't get it done. And I really liked, I like him, but he's not ready. And his stuff doesn't seem to mesh with a front-of-the-rotation guy. And he's no, been scouted no. as, as a middle-of-the-rotation, back-of-the-rotation guy. I think we have to temper our expectations in terms of Libertor being a one or a two. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. And, and I know that in meeting him early in his tour of duty in St. Louis, he felt like he wanted to be like Carlton. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, your parents aren't even old enough to have seen Carlton. So how do you feel like you could be Steve Carlton? And, and I think the expectations are a little high. And, and who knows? Maybe he'll figure it out. But I'll tell you something that was very telling for me. You know, when he was in trouble, Yachty never went out to the mound to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one of those situations. All right, big shot. You want you want to think you're hot stuff here? You you figure it out. And I think that was just a lesson that he probably needed to learn because he got it handed to him at Wrigley Field, all right, which is already a tough place to play in. So I just think there's still some growth to be done there. Um, but I, like you just said, I'm not going to put my expectations to the point where like he's in the Cy Young conversation next year. Clips, I always love to ask you about the Blues. Now that the Avalanche have swept the Oilers and they're headed to the Stanley Cup final, I think we're looking at the Blues a little differently since the Avs, uh, the only losses they've had in the playoffs are to the hands of the St. Louis Blues. But as you look at this interesting and critical offseason for Doug Armstrong, what do you think is number one on the list of things to do for Army? Boy, that's a good question. And I've been wrestling with that. You know, you, you thought you had goal scoring, you know, because we – pounded on our chest, hey, we got nine 20 goal scores. And, and the unfortunate part about that was only like three of them or four of them showed up in the playoffs. I think that they still need more of a physical presence. Uh, and while that may not be the most urgent thing, I just think that they need to have a, a good two-way guy that can play on the second or third line. I'm not talking about a, a, a eight-man and a guy a night. I'm talking about a guy who can actually have a presence uh, you got to figure out the goaltending uh, on who's going to do what. And then I think you also have to make a decision on who is actually your legitimate sixth defenseman. Um, because we saw a lot of interchangeable parts. And just when you want to write off Bortuzzo, he steps up and what maybe was your most game guy during the playoffs. 
you look at a guy like Pareko, and let's face it, he's six foot six, but he ain't Chris Pronger, all right? He doesn't play like Pronger, and I think we probably have to accept that. He's not going to change. He's not going to be this big, mean, nasty guy. That, that just isn't his makeup. But he's got to do the other things that makes him effective, and he's got to be more consistent with that. So I, I think there's some subtle, subtle tweaking needs to take place, but I also feel this. And we saw this Doug Armstrong do this a few years ago. He moved some guys before everybody else thought they should have been moved. And, and you guys remember that year when Brian Elliott and everybody got moved or didn't re- get re-signed. And we were like, well, how are we going to beat anybody this year? And then the next year we ended up being very good. We may need to tweak that again and move some people that we've been accustomed to being comfortable with. Who those guys are, I'm not sure yet. But I think we're at a point where we need to re- retweak it and quit living off of two, not 2000, um, 2019 as far as what we were able to do in the Stanley Cup. You know, that ship has sailed. It's gone around the world and it's come back. We need to really figure out what's going to be next for the next three to five years. Hey, Clayton, before we let you go, the Joe West podcast is great every week. What's the latest with the Joe podcast? Well, we're having fun with that. And uh, I think we're doing Larry Gatlin this week. I'm not sure. But but what we we have coming up is uh, AJ Przinsky, and if you know anything about him, and I, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, spring training one year, AJ's catching. He and Joe aren't getting along behind the plate, so Joe tells the uh, bad boy, "Bring me a new, bring me some more baseballs out." And AJ says, "Hey, make sure he gets some that he can see this time." <laughs> Joe takes his mask <laughs> off, walks over to the dugout, and says to the manager. For Atlanta, I believe it was Bobby Cox. He said, Bobby, you're going to need a new catcher because he's done for the day. And so AJ said, yeah, it kind of went that way. Well, I was really trying to get a day off in spring training. So anyway, we're going to have him coming up here soon. Uh, let's see, who else do we have lined up? Uh, the Crawford brothers, Joey and uh, – oh, gosh, who's it? Jerry, Joey and Jerry Crawford. Shag Crawford was their dad. He was Major League umpire. Joey was a great NBA referee. And, Jer- and Jerry was in a, a Major League Baseball umpire. So we, we've got them lined up and a few other people down the road. But uh, I just would say to anybody, just check us out. We drop a new one every Monday. And uh, we do a lot of laughing. Love Let, it. Let's just put it that way. Beautiful. Thanks, Claves. Always good to have you with us. All right, you guys have a great week. We'll talk soon. You bet. That is Mike Claiborne. He joins us every Tuesday on Character and Smallman. Coming up. Ali Marmol is going to have too many position players than he, and not enough positions. We'll talk about how he handles that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Because of that, Michelle, they're going to have some really tough decisions to make. It's a great problem to have, but O'Neill is, is very close. I would assume that he's going to join us uh, here in Tampa. And I would think that Dylan Carlson is not far away. A lot of times, Bo will wait till a homestand ends or a series begins or a homestand begins to make that move, um, unless you're making something pretty significant. And O'Neill could be a significant add because he's been hitting the ball so well uh, down in the minor leagues. But to your point, I mean, they've had nine debuts this year, and all nine have been 
significant in terms of helping this team win. So great problem to have. I, I don't see how you can take Brendan Donovan out of the lineup and they're going to have to get creative as they go, which is uh, what makes this fun. Danny Mac yesterday here on 101 ESPN. It's 9.07. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, to Dan's point, on Sunday night, the Cardinals' last game, a 5-3 win over the Cubs, you had Gorman come in and pinch hit, get a couple of at-bats as the DH in place of Albert Pujols. You had Juan Yepes in left. You had Brendan Donovan in right field. You had Lars Newtbar come into that game. You had Edmundo Sosa play. And you're waiting for both Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson to return. Somebody who should be on the Major League roster is not going to be on the Major League roster at the end of this week. And I'm interested to see how, when everything settles in terms of players being healthy, how Ali Marmol handles this. And by the way, I am of the belief that maybe when O'Neill comes back, whether it's tonight or tomorrow... I would think that the first guy to go will be Corey Dickerson. That he'll probably get DFA'd and they'll save that 40-man spot for when Flaherty comes back. It's a precarious spot for Ali Marmol to be in. As Dan mentioned, it's a good problem to have because that means you have a lot of talent at your disposal. But you also are trying to balance guys who are playing well and have earned the right to play more with guys whose initial spots these were coming back in and needing to get going again and wanting to provide them the games and the at-bats in order to do so. And especially when it comes to somebody like Tyler O'Neill, We talked to Adam Wainwright a couple weeks ago before Tyler O'Neill got injured about what he saw in him. And he's like, trust me, he is getting close. And when Tyler O'Neill takes off, he can carry this team. He's the type of guy that can change the complexity of your team. We saw it at, at down the runway last year. But Randy, even with all of that being said, I don't know how you don't play somebody like Brendan Donovan, who's just been playing so well for the Cardinals and is an all-around great baseball player. And 94 at-bats, he's batting 319. That's second on the Cardinals right now. He went 8 for 20 over the weekend in Chicago. He was hitting 400 in that five-game mm-hmm. series versus Chicago. Had some great defensive plays. I don't know how you don't play Brendan Donovan in some way, shape, or form. And Dylan Carlson, before he got hurt, had been hot for the better part of a month. So I don't think you say Carlson. I'm with you. I think because of his potential and his recent history, Tyler O'Neill got MVP votes last year. Yes. I, I don't know how you said him. Bader is going to play. He's your best center fielder. So that brings you back to the infield. They said that when they brought up Nolan Gorman that they wanted him to play every day. Is Nolan Gorman a guy that could go back to Memphis so that you can give Donovan uh, time at second base? Perhaps that's a move that you make because... Well, you love what you see for the future of Gorman, and he is hitting over 300. Right now, who would you rather have in your lineup as left-handed hitter? Is it Gorman or is it Donovan? Gorman's part of your future, there's no doubt about it. But like Dan said, you have to make some tough decisions here. You do. And for a rookie manager in Ali Marmol, it's going to be fascinating for me to see how he handles this because... It is something that you're going to have to navigate and you don't want to make the wrong decision. You certainly don't want to send someone down who's been hot and producing for you, but you also don't want to have Tyler O'Neill's progress stunted or Dylan Carlson's progress stunted mm-hmm. because those are supposed to be anchors of your outfield and anchors of, of your lineup. So, but I don't, I don't know, Randy. I find room for Brendan Donovan at all costs and right now. One thing you can do because of his versatility, especially as O'Neill and Carlson work their way back into the lineup is you can play Brendan Donovan at least twice a week in the outfield, once in right, once in left. If you play six games a week and 
Tyler O'Neill's playing five and Carlson's playing five and Donovan's getting two of those games and then gets a game on the infield or at the, at DH, you take care of that situation. Mm-hmm. Then you have to figure out the rest of your situ- your problem, which is, does is Lars Newtbar even here? Does Lars Newtbar have a spot on this roster? I don't think he does. He's probably a guy that goes back. And you, you do have to play Gorman every day. If you're going to have Gorman on your major league team, he's got to play every day. So Gorman and Edmund are your middle infield. You know who, you know what your infield is. So that gives you the opportunity for DH for Donovan, left or right field. And then Yepes generally plays DH or hits at least DH against right-handed pitching and Albert against left-handed pitching. That is one thing that works to Ollie's benefit is that a lot of these guys have versatility. So yeah. you can kind of move the pieces around based on matchups or, or, or based on trying to get certain guys more ABs. But here we are in June and the, the Cardinals have an, a, a talent problem. And by that, we mean they have too much talent right now and don't know w- what to do with all of them. I didn't think that I don't I don't think a lot of Cardinals fans expected a log jam this early no, in the season. No. And one other point, Michelle, is that the Cardinals have given many more at bats than expected against right handed pitchers, at least as far as I'm concerned, to Albert Pujols. So if Albert, who already this year has 56 at-bats, 69 plate appearances against right-handers. And he's hitting 125 against right-handed pitchers. I think that you can cut back on the number of at-bats that he gets against right-handers. Now, the problem is Cardinals don't face many left-handers. He's only got 36 plate appearances against lefties, 69 against righties. But if one of the other guys, whether it's Donovan or Yepes, is productive against right-handed pitchers and Albert isn't, as much as we love Albert... You are trying to win the game, ultimately. Yeah. And he understands that. Yeah, right. So he just doesn't play as much. That's the deal. And he, he was signed as a guy to play against left-handed pitching. Which I hate, though, because I want to see him get closer to 700. <laughs> He's not getting to 700 this year. But I want to see it. So we have 100 games left in the season. And he's got 36 at-bats so far in the first third of the season against... Uh, uh, against lefty pitching. I just don't see a scenario. How far away is he right now? Let me get it here. Uh, he's like 20, 20. He's got uh, 683, 17 away. 17 home runs in the next 100 games without facing enough left-handed pitching. I, I just don't see that happening. Could happen, though. But do you, If you give him enough ABs, could happen. But I understand they're not going to. They want to win. Right, that's the key. They want to win. You do that if, if you're not in the hunt for a playoff spot or don't plan on being in the hunt for a playoff spot but they're going to be in the hunt for a playoff spot and this is a very important stretch of games for the Cardinals in order to take the division and hopefully never look back you need to be playing your best players at all costs right now you need to put your foot on the gas and put Milwaukee in the rear view that is your number one focus that's Michelle I'm Randy that's today's big thing coming up Cardinals scouting director Randy Flores joins us here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and I were talking in our last segment about the fact that the Cardinals are going to have some problems to deal with, with O'Neill and Carlson coming back. 
and uh, we head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and uh, the source of those good problems, one of them is Randy Flores, the Cardinals Scouting Director, who joins us on 101 ESPN with uh, Carriker and Smallman. Randy, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking at the, your draft since you became the Cardinal Scouting Director, and I see the names of Carlson and Hudson and Edmund and Kisner and, and 2018 Gorman and Donovan and Newt Barr. How much fun is it for you to see these guys come up and not only just get to the major leagues, but produce the way they have? It, it, it's fun. I mean, it, it, there's no other way to describe it other than it's fun, and, and it's an appreciation, Randy, just for the the teamwork that goes into it, right? You, you don't know at the time when you're making that pick what, how it's going to turn out. You certainly have hope. You have optimism. Uh, you have reasons for, for belief. You have reasons for making the pick. And then it's, um, you know, it's, it's a credit to the process of the organization as Gary LaRock and the farm system gets their hands on the players and begins molding them, uh, working on their strengths, working on their deficiencies. And then, and, and then you see their dreams come true and then experience some success. It's extremely rewarding. Randy, the Cardinals just wrapped up a weekend series versus the Cubs, and the disparity between the two organizations was on display, and really the talent development of the two organizations was on display. Randy and I were talking during the break, and the Cardinals always have a consistent level, a consistent foundation of talent at the major league level. Uh, The Cubs are obviously rebuilding, and so their needs are different. What's it like to develop and draft when you don't have to draft for need? You know what? I think every or goes into the draft trying to not draft for need. Uh, I, I think that that's the goal. I think very rarely will you hear a team, unless maybe they're drafting the top five, make a specific pick uh, for need. Um, but what I will say is it's, um, it, 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 it's just it points to, uh, I guess you would say, the, the, the confidence we have and the work we put in the process to try to be as consistent as possible. You know, all, all of us, all teams, all orgs are driving to, to produce uh, that's what you get up and do this job for every day. And to see it come to fruition is just, again, um, it, it's something that in this role, rather than the player's role, it's an appreciation for all the touch points that go in to providing that consistency. And trust me, not one day do you ever wake up and go, oh, yeah, we nailed it. Um, we're producing a consistent <laughs> pipeline. Not, not, not one day in, in now going on my seventh draft have I ever woken up saying we, we nailed it and we are producing. It is that it is that fear of not meeting the standard of those who were before and of this organization standard uh, that, that, that brings the, the drive to, to meet that standard. Randy, I got, I got a question about one guy for you, and that's Jordan Walker. Because so many teams say, we were shocked when he was there. And Michelle and I talked to him. He's an impressive guy. He's physically imposing and impressive, really productive player in high school. So two years ago, you draft him at number 21. What was your reaction when Jordan Walker was available at 21? Well, I think it was there's a, there's a number of reasons why I think that he was available. And I think that we would be remiss to not point to the pandemic shortened environment of, of 2020, that 2020 draft, you know, baseball shut down and a lot of orgs did not get a chance to get their full gamut of cross checking and looks that make someone make a team comfortable with the pick. Additionally, when you look at the summer of his, his before his senior year in high school, um, in our minds, he was someone who trended up. And, and was getting better and better and better. Um, wasn't maybe a goalpost to goalpost um, standout, but was someone who, who we believed was trending. And when you draft where we draft in the positions you do, um, at some point you have to be able to swallow risk uh, when you're seeking upside. 
it, it, granted, there's risk in any pick, uh, but certainly when you're going with a high school position player uh, with your first pick, you have to be able to swallow some risk. And, you know, I, I just think it's a testament to our ownership and to Mo in their confidence in our department, you know, to provide the autonomy to, to swallow that risk if we think it's the goal, uh, the, the, if it's the right pick for our board, you know, trusting the process. You'll hear Mo talk about trusting the process. And, and although he is not scouting and although he's not writing reports, his influence in trusting that process is paramount, especially when you consider that he believes in trusting the scouting process. You know, when you, when you, when you swallow risk with a high school pick like Carlson or like Gorman or like Walker or like Wynn. And uh, I think, you know, seeing that type of leadership gives confidence in our department to make the best decisions we can with the info at hand. And Randy, you were scouting and keeping an eye on players before you became the Cardinals scouting director. Just from my untrained eye, it seems like scouting at least for power hitters is a lot better. It seems like ordinarily to get a, a great power hitter, you have to be near the top of the first round. Not don't have to be, but it seems like teams hit on power hitters at the top of the first round. Yeah, no. Uh, obviously, there, there. Every step you get away from the top, you know, handful of picks, there's more and more risk. And so, inside, you know, the top five or so picks, you know, you, you typically see people who are have produced, who have a long track record whose uh, metrics and analysis shows that they hit the ball hard, that they have good zone recognition. And then each step away from there, um, you have to come to determination whether or not you think that the bet you're making um, is worth that risk. And then you lean and rely on player development, on performance, on the hitting program, on a pitching program to, to work to refine that product. Randy, as the other Randy mentioned when we brought you in, a lot of the guys that you drafted are on full display for the Cardinals right now. And one of the guys that's making a big impact and that Cardinals fans are falling love with, in love with is Brendan Donovan. He's just been so exciting and fun to watch. He was drafted by the Cardinals in 2018. Tell us what your assessment was of Brendan Donovan at that time. Look, that is a complete process pick. And what I mean by that is that's not – when you're at that spot in the draft, that typically – is not um, a profile or a spot in the draft where the scouting director is, is driving that by the looks, uh, meaning the scouting in-person looks or by the scheduling of looks of national cross-checkers. What that is instead is it's the belief in the process of our area scouts, of our regional roles, of our analytical department to, to denote that as you get further away from the first round, players become, uh, at least industry-wide, closer together in the evaluations. What stood out in the reports of Brendan was the, there, was, there, there was raving reviews about his makeup and his aptitude, um, about his ability to, to adjust. Um, he, he was someone who had, you know, kind of was, was a grinder. Whatever the words you guys are using now, those, those came through in the reports written um, at that ground level of scouting and backed up by the uh, analysis of our baseball development department. And he has proven to be a versatile player as well. When, when you select a guy like that, can you project him as not a utility guy, but a versatile guy that fits what baseball is in 2022? Look, let me tell you what that is. That is player development and Gary LaRock um, and, and our farm system. We draft them and we hand them off. And what, what Gary uh, ha- has shown me is an ability to be disciplined to a process as well to provide opportunity and to have patience. And to know that if someone doesn't just come out of the gate, guns blazing, looking like a home run, that you give them opportunity to find their way. Brennan Donovan broke his thumb or his hand, um, uh, had, uh, had an injury that affected a year of development. Hmm. But uh, G- Gary LaRock didn't go out and sign minor league free agents to play ahead of uh, Brendan Donovan. 
Instead, he found playing time for him in Peoria. And in the same year, because of that playing time, he's allowed to develop at multiple spots and get to AAA in the same year. Look back even further to Tommy Edmond. It wasn't as if Tommy Edmond, right out of the gate, was showing um, the, the amazing uh, ability that he's doing now. But the patience of our farm system, the belief in providing opportunity, um, the, the discipline to not make a rash decision allowed Tommy to continue to develop. And so, sure, you could say that we were hoping that there's versatility, that he would, that, that aptitude would play out, but that belief needs to be paired with the opportunity that our farm system provides. Hey, Randy, a couple of other notes here. Number one, how much has video changed scouting? You're the scouting director. How, how much do you rely on video now as opposed to even when you started? I'd say it simply this way. Scouts are paid to evaluate based off what they see. Video provides an opportunity to see more. As simple as that. Is it the same as in person? I don't personally believe so. But I can tell you I would rather have our scout watch a baseball game than an infant. (laughs) And that that simplicity means that when you have uh, an opportunity to see more, um, this game is about, when in scouting, is betting with conviction, with confidence. And oftentimes, in the absence of video, you're only able to see what you see on that given day. On a given day, what a player does in the three or four at-bats when you're there or in the few innings they pitch. What video affords is our scouts an opportunity to see more. And one other thing, a couple of former Cardinals have guys that are coming up in this draft. Mark McGuire has his son, Mason. And, of course, Jackson Holiday is regarded by some as the top pick in the draft. Does it make a difference, Randy, in, in a broad sense, if a potential draftee has played for a major leaguer and especially a successful major leaguer? Or not? You know, uh, I, 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 you know, I, look, I, I'd answer it this way. You heard me talk about all the touch points that impact a player. And, and help uh, influence their path in, in player development. And I mean all the way from, from a hitting coordinator and a pitching coordinator to the team-specific pitching coach. I'm talking there could be a rehab specialist, a trainer. There could be a clubhouse manager. Someone at some point needs to be able to influence uh, a young prospect and keep them going, to encourage them, to write the path, to say the right thing when they're down, um, to see something that can make an improvement. And if you happen to be able to have a, a bat phone hotline to a former successful major leaguer who knows that grind, I think that's an asset to have and must be considered at draft time. And finally, Randy, one last thing for me. I was reading up about you last night preparing for this interview, and I stumbled across an article that said for your birthday last year, you bought yourself a minivan, that you have an affinity for minivans. So I need to know how this happened. How did you fall in love with minivans? And can you describe what minivan you have now? Well, I, I hate to, to, to burst a myth. I, I did not buy a minivan. I am forbidden from buying a minivan oh, by no. my wife. But I, I fell in love with the minivan due to a scarcity of car rentals uh, during that draft scouting season. And so I get into a, I forget where I was, someone in, uh, somewhere in the upper Midwest. The only car available is like a, like a Chevy Astro van. I don't even know if those are made anymore. Um, it, it had no Bluetooth, uh, no GPS. Uh, the air conditioning was, you know, open up the vents, roll down the windows. But I'm telling you, that bucket seat, the snub nose, it made me feel like I was kind of driving a monorail going through these pretty small roads uh, in, in Ohio. And I thought, now I get it. You know, I, I went to go get my luggage in the back. I pressed a button and half the car disappeared. It's a sliding door. It's amazing. It's like you know, indoor, outdoor living all in a minivan. And so I have uh, an appreciation for it now. Uh, I belong on Facebook chat groups where we talk about the benefits of, of minivans, but I am not allowed to buy one. 
so I just make sure to rent them now. So is this something that you're trying to work on your wife to accept, or have you just come to the conclusion that it's never going to happen? Well, she's recruited our children, and so when you're going on vacation and you go to pretend you got the rental ban, and our four-year-old is crying and our seven-year-old is scratching and clawing, saying, no, mom's going to be so mad. Uh, I, I'm, I'm outnumbered there. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Randy, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for the time. And uh, we know this is a busy time for you. We're about a month away from the draft. So uh, we, we appreciate your time today and good luck in the 2022 draft. Outstanding. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Randy Flores, who, who has done a magnificent job in, as he says, holding up the, the the history of the Cardinals' talent procurement. He's done an amazing job. Doesn't this go back to what we talked about earlier in the show when we were comparing the Cardinals and the Cubs yeah. and the demands and expectations placed on both organizations? Randy Flores just highlighted that, how they feel the pressure all the time to maintain the standards and draft players that will carry on the success and tradition of the Cardinals, and that that feeling never goes away. And when you look at what's happened since he took over, his first draft was the 2016 draft. And let me just give you uh, the, the picks that he has made, because not only have they benefited the Cardinals here, but they're benefiting because of the fact that the Cardinals are able to trade some of these players. In that first draft, 2016, Dylan Carlson, Dakota Hudson, Zach Gallen, who went in the Ozuna trade and now is for Arizona, Edmund Kisner, Daniel Castano, who also went in the Ozuna trade. Uh, they also got Andrew Young, who was involved in the Goldschmidt trade. That was all in his first draft in 2016. 2017, the Cardinals take uh, Kramer Robertson, who was just up here a couple of weeks ago. They take Jake Walsh, who's up here now. Cody Whitley, part of the Cardinal bullpen. So you get three productive guys out of that draft. And then you move on to the next one. And this is really the key. Uh, as great as 2016 was, 2019 or 2018, you get Gorman, you get Donovan, you get Newt Barr, uh, and, and then you've got guys on the way like uh, Luke and Baker at some point, and you traded Mateo Gill in the trade to get Nolan Arnauto. The, the drafts have been very productive, both for the Cardinals and to go out and get other players. So successful. And as he mentioned, kudos to Mo for allowing these guys to stick with the process and providing confidence in them to do their job, not micromanaging mm-hmm. and trying to oversee this. He hired smart people, and he lets them stick to their draft philosophy and, and trust them to continue Continue to do a good job. Yeah, they've been fantastic. By the way, Andre Pallante drafted in the 2019 draft. And then the one that we're really excited about, as he mentioned, kind of a weird draft because of the pandemic. But you get Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn in the first two rounds, plus Alec Burleson, who's going to be here. He's having a great minor league career so far. That 2020 draft might be one that we look back on as one of the best ever for the Cardinals. I can't wait to get Gary LaRock on and play a couple of those clips. I mean, the, 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 yeah. the camaraderie and the partnership in the Cardinals organization. How about that? Teamwork makes the dream work. You betcha. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. And it is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I just want to shout out Budweiser because they've done it. They've done it. What have they done? They have made the best ad in history. Wow. 
Ad Week, whatever awards they have, mm-hmm. they're going to Budweiser for this award. It is breathtakingly beautiful in its simplicity. And I have tweeted it. I've shared it to my Instagram story, both at M. Smallman, if you want to check it out. If you haven't seen it and you're in St. Louis, Missouri, what are you doing? Check it out right now. And what it is, is it's an ad about Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. It's a split screen of the two guys that goes into video about them and just words flash on the screen while a beautiful guitar riff plays underneath it. So we're going to play the music and I'm going to read to you what is said on the screen about Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. I like it. Listen to that, right? It says, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright. Two legendary players. 11 combined gold gloves. Two-time World Series champions. Countless comebacks. Thousands of unspoken words. Millions of fans brought to their feet. Only one record they can break. But one stat rises above them all. 17 seasons as best buds. And then it cuts to Wayno and Yachty cheersing a Budweiser, hugging each other. And it says, this buds for hashtag best buds. That's awesome. That's great. I'm so glad, number one, that Budweiser is about St. Louis again. And I'm glad that they have recognized what these two have accomplished. It doesn't get any better, really, than that combination. Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser, and the Cardinals. It's meant to be. Right. It's a trifecta. And how cool is it that Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina truly not only have been together in their work lives for this long, but are actually best buds. Adam told us the great story about spending Thanksgiving with with Yadier Molina. You should go back and listen to that interview on the 101 ESPN app if you haven't. But when he says they're brothers, they truly are brothers. And I just thought it was a beautiful tribute to them and a really special way to highlight their relationship over the past 17 seasons. Yeah, really well done. And what a great history of ad making by our friends at Budweiser and different people over the years have done it, but this is right there with the best that they've ever done. It's remarkable. Congratulations, Budweiser. Best ad in history. You're killing me, Small. Now, another video Randy's making the rounds online, and I don't know if it's being received as positively. Uh, So we know Russell Wilson likes a tagline. He likes Mm -hmm. to say something that's really kind of a an exclamation point that punctuates his pressers. We know in Seattle, famously, he would say, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks during every presser. And we were kind of speculating what it might be now that he's with the Denver Broncos. We were thinking, uh, is he going to just translate that to go Broncos? It doesn't really roll off the tongue in the same way that go Hawks does. But he's he's trying on something for size. Okay. What do we got? Here's, here's what he's doing. Just put my jersey on for the first time. Broncos orange. Let's ride. Green screen in it with my boy. Yes, sir. Let's go. We in the orange, baby. Let's go. Let's ride, baby. Ooh. Too clean right hey. now. No cat. Well, we know what we're doing. Hey. I have my boy Drew. And I got one fun with one me. One fun with me. Boy, hey. Boy. Hey. 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 Yes, sir. So what we gonna do? Yes, sir. People can't see Randy, but he closed his eyes, he dipped his head, and he shook it in disappointment. Let's ride. That's what that's what Russ is trying on. Let's ride for the Broncos. Yeah, not great. Uh, <laughs> I think he can do. Uh, I think he can do so much better. Can he though? Maybe not. He's the corniest football player I've ever seen in my Just time. Really, I mean, he, he tries really hard to have yeah, a catchphrase. Eli race. Manning is more natural 
as a human being than Russell Wilson is, and that's like that's that's the most I can say about What's it. What's the one that Sierra gave him? Well, he gave Mr. Unlimited. Um, she, that's the one. That's, she didn't stop it. She yeah, was in the a, background, which I think is just yeah. you know what, outrageous. No, Mr. Unlimited. Mr. Un- Can we get that sounder? Mr. Unlimited. That was one of the worst things I've ever seen. That was really bad. And now Sierra also, Randy, I don't know if you saw her video with a Bronco that's making the rounds, but that one is uh, getting widespread applause. She's dancing at a gas pump on top of a Bronco. <laughs> And let's just say she's got the moves. Oh, yeah. She's got the moves. She's always had them. They've never left. Some people saying better than ever. Sierra. So maybe he should just let her do the videos. I think that's a smart move on his part. Yeah. Because Mr. Unlimited, let's ride. No, they don't don't flow. Mr. Unlimited. Oh, man. That was just brutal. But, yeah, let's ride. He's trying it on. I think it's going to be something that we're going to see continuously throughout the season because... Even though we're kind of shaking our heads about it, he probably thinks it sounds really cool. Yeah, I don't think it does. (laughs) No, it definitely doesn't. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, what's on tap as we head down the stretch of Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ajax coming up. Michelle, Dustin Johnson held a press conference in London this morning and officially announced that he has resigned from the PGA Tour. Uh, he's getting $125 million guaranteed. A lot of the other players aren't getting nearly the money that Dustin Johnson is getting. And we all have our feelings about associating with uh, murderers. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Uh, ne'er-do-wells. Sorry, I'll put that one on wax for myself. Murderers. Yeah, that's uh, thank you. So the the question is, what's the number? Four. For you to associate with, okay, there's a radio station that oh, is owned by Prince, whatever his name is, Sal- Salman, Salman, right? Uh, and uh, this is a guy that was allegedly mm-hmm. pretty good chance that he was behind the killing of Jamal Kasagi, the Washington Post columnist. Uh in a country that has made a lot of money, and by the way, is a big reason for the price of fuel worldwide. Not that they're doing it right now, but they might be. And they haven't always had the best human rights record. No, they don't. So with that being the case, there's a radio station that wants to hire you that is owned by those people. What number would you go to to make your moral compass go north and say, okay, yeah, I'm in? Hmm. Interesting question. Now, listen, Dustin Johnson has made far more money than yes, I have. Right. So I think it's kind of an unfair question but for someone he, like me. I think he's about, uh, just about 40, 45 million. Yeah, right the now. guarantee is more than double what he's made on the PGA Tour. It's almost triple. Yeah, right. However, he's still a multi, multi millionaire many times over. And he has many good golf years left in him to continue earning on the PGA Tour and through endorsers here in America. <laughs> also, his wife, Paulina, I'm sure makes good money in, mm-hmm. in, in, in endorsements. And uh, I don't think her family's hurting for some cash. So 
they seem to be, by all accounts, very financially stable. Can, can you make a little right. money if you have a million dollar if you have a million followers on Instagram and, and and can you know pull the sponsorship she's can with the fact that she's Paulina Gretzky and she's married to Dustin Johnson? Oops. So there's probably less of a good reason for him to go to the LIV. If I walked in to a gas station today and said to someone, if the Saudis offered you $125 million to go do whatever it is your profession is over there and associate with them, people wouldn't even let me finish my sentence before they'd say, done, I will do that. Mm-hmm. $125 million. I think the average person would absolutely have no problem rationalizing that in their brain because they're trying to set up their family. And I mean, think about what people are dealing with right now. The price of gas is outrageous. People are really struggling financially in a lot of different ways. I think for a lot of people, this is a no brainer. But if I'm Dustin Johnson or if I'm Phil Mickelson and I and I know Phil is dealing with perhaps some Mm -hmm. financial issues. And I don't really, I don't know what just Dustin Johnson's portfolio looks like, but I think that would be harder for me to rationalize if I was in a very comfortable financial setting and I knew that doing this was going to be sending what I consider to be a, a terrible message well, and in a lot of ways burning a lot of bridges with yep. people that I've developed relationships with. Phil Mickelson is on record as essentially, to paraphrase, on record as saying that He's doing this because the Saudis, in his mind, are taking the moral high ground because the PGA Tour will charge him a million dollars to put a video of him on his Instagram page. If I'm in their shoes, and I I agree with you, it's different, but it it would be very, very easy for me. I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. (laughs) Very easy for me to say, you know what? The people that I've dealt with have been super nice. So I don't have any, I, I can only go by what I, the people I talk to. So I'm in. They're trying to change, right? Yeah, you can right. rationalize yeah. it. Okay, but let me let me phrase it to you this way, Randy. How much would it cost for you to work for Stan Kroenke? A hundred million dollars? Would you sell your soul and work for Stan Kroenke? What is DJ getting? One twenty-five? Would you work for Stan Kroenke for a hundred and twenty-five million dollars? Here's the thing: I have an inherent built-in hate of Stan Kroenke. I don't, because I know Stan Kroenke. I don't know these people. So it, I think it'd be different and easier for me. But now, a hundred million dollars for Stan Kroenke. I'm asking specifically yeah. to this. So it, I, I, yeah, of course I would take a hundred million dollars to go work for Stan Kroenke. I'd have to do my own show and produce and engineer it myself. just like their broadcasters have to do on the road. But yeah, if a hundred million bucks. Yeah, of course I'm taking it now. With, um, and you know what? It's a hundred million dollars out of his fortune. And a, and with this hundred million dollars, you have to say nice things about him publicly because that's what they're doing is saying nice mm-hmm, things right. about the Saudis publicly. So he you, is paying me a hundred million dollars. Uh, one twenty five, Randy. Not even just a hundred. Yeah, I'm giving you one twenty five. I appreciate that even more. So would you do it? Yeah. So I'm just trying to think of a person. I have a price. We Everybody has a price. Yes. And comparatively to what Stan Kroenke's done compared to what the Saudis have done, they're uh, it's far worse than what they've done. Yeah, he hasn't been accused of killing any journalists. Not yet. Cutting them up with a... And it's not just cutting them up. They, they cut them up with a 
What, what, what kind of saw was it? Band saw. Band saw. Oh yeah. Gosh. But that's my whole point. I'm trying to think of someone that we should have more of a reaction to them working for the Saudis than we would to San Kroenke. But my whole point, Randy, is that I wanted to tap in to something that you feel very passionately about, something that you would hate to do. And it would be very, very hard for you to rationalize it. But at the end of the day, it's one hundred and twenty five million dollars. You can rationalize it. You can rationalize it. Yeah. Nah, I'm out. I'm out. Sorry. No, you're not. Know. You are Come such on. a liar. I don't care if you. $125 million. Nah, I'm my, my moral compass is broken. You know I, what? And, and listen, listen, sure, I would, I'll see you at the boat show, I, buddy. Listen, I, I'll, I'll be honest here. My moral compass, I, I, would, I, would take, you know, I would take a couple hundred grand and work for Stan Kroenke and not even think twice about it, but I don't think I'd take millions from the Saudis. That would really? Be, if, I don't think I would, no. If because you walked here's in a room and there was just $125 million dollars not, in cash, you're walking I, out? I, I literally not. could not live with the idea that I had a video out there like John Cena did where he uh, pissed off China and he had to put out a video where he was like, I'm sorry for making those comments. And all his comments were like, freedom's good and I like America. And he had to apologize for that. I don't want a video like that out me on the oh, internet forever. Please. I you know what? Myself. Just don't get Wi-Fi on your private jet and then you don't have to worry about the video. You need to learn about the idea of rationalizing. It's a good thing. <laughs> I don't believe you for one second. Yeah. Uh, I, listen, I do a lot of things for money, but not that. <laughs> great job today by our producer engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle, this was great. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. Hump to day already. Hump day already, yeah. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.